Hey, uh, my name's Kent Woodrow. I'm the next generation pastor here at Holy Cross. If I hadn't have a, haven't had a chance to meet you, a uh, couple of quick announcements. I know it's felt like a fairly heavy announcement, heavy Sunday, um, but you've probably been getting the emails and the mailers and all this, so I really probably don't need to remind you. But if you are uh, wanting to do an end of year gift to Holy Cross uh, for tax purposes and all that sort of stuff, we just need to have that gift by the end of the month. Um, so just putting that out there on your radar. Uh, the second thing is, this is the uh, last Sunday for the last of the Gilmartins. Um, Jesse, Becca, Andrew, and Luke are heading down to Florida tomorrow. So uh, make sure you say your goodbyes to them if you haven't already, um, and just wish them well. Hey, we love you guys. You guys have done a lot for our church, and um, personally, it's gonna, I'm gonna miss you a ton. So, um, yeah. All right, hey, uh, we're wrapping up our Advent, Advent series uh, based on the hymn, Thou Who Wast Rich, okay? Um, and today we're gonna look at the middle verse of that, of that song, and we're gonna use the scripture text, Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. So if you'll go ahead and flip to that, uh, Philippians two, verses five through 11, and... Um, yeah, it's, it's in your bulletin if you need it. Um, hey, here's a question for you. Like, as, as you're turning there, do you feel like you have to fight to get noticed? You ever felt that? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it's fighting to get noticed in your family. Maybe it's, it's working really hard to, to put your name out there, to put your brand out there, to get your business out there. Uh, maybe it's because you're looking for more kids to, to take care of or nanny or something like that. You know, like, I think a lot of us, regardless of our circumstances, we know what it's like to, to have to put our name out there. And it's exhausting, isn't it? We're kind of seeing, I think, in our day and age, a, a little bit of a cultural shift, too. It's, it's almost as if that's expected of everybody. Get your name out there. Establish your brand. Be an influencer. Social media's done that a lot, right? Whether it's, you know, hey, uh, I'm trying to promote my business through Facebook, or whether it's, I really want to promote this image of happy family, of put-together person. Be noticed, be noticed, be noticed. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's really tiring. And if you've ever gotten to the highest levels of being an influencer and so forth, then you know how wearying that is to chronicle your day and to, to be promoting your brand. It's exhausting because, y'all, we weren't made for that. It's not what we were made for. In fact, as we're gonna see later on uh, in this sermon, we're kind of made for the opposite of that. And we see that in our God. Because while we fight to climb that ladder, God's busy climbing down that ladder. Hey, would you stand out of uh, respect as we read the word of the Lord? Philippians 2. I know I said we'll start with verse 5. Let's start with verse 3, and, uh, but we're really going to focus on 5 through 11. Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the true word of the living God. He gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, your word speaks. You use your word to shape and transform us and that's why we're here. We're gathered here not because we expect some sort of magical thing to happen by all of us being here, but because we believe you are here. We believe that you're gonna use your word, that you are, you are present and you will use your word to shape us, to mold us, to let us see you. And so I pray for that, Lord. I pray that you would come and you would touch our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you, would you move? Um, we wanna see Jesus. We wanna see him, we wanna love him. Would you use the next few minutes to help us grow in that area. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, so Pastor Brian's actually going to take us to the book of Philippians when he uh, starts preaching regularly second week in January. So uh, I'm not going to cover this passage as extensively as we can. He's going to do that in a few weeks. Um, the main thing I want us to focus on right now is Jesus doing the opposite of what we tend to do. Right, Because like we said earlier, while we're busy climbing the ladder, God came down. God came down that ladder. All right, so uh, three simple points in this outline. Letting go, lowering, and lifting up. Okay. So we're going to look at, and under each of those points, we're going to look at what Jesus has done and then what that means for us. Okay. So let's look at letting go. Uh, that's from verses five and seven. So starting with uh, verse six here, he says, have this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, and then goes on to say, didn't count that something to be grasped, but be took on the form of a servant. So what Paul isn't doing, Paul is the author of this uh, letter, what he isn't doing is saying Jesus was something other than God. He's saying he was very much God. He's setting up a contrast between this is who Jesus was before and he chose this position, he had this position of godhood and he chose this position of being human. God chose humanness. That's, that's I mean, hey, it's kind of the well-duh thing, right? This is what Chris, Christmas is all about. We're all commemorating this. But it's important. Why is this such a big deal? Because Jesus didn't snatch what wasn't his. Some of y'all's translations may say he did not think it robbery to be counted equal with God. Jesus didn't, it's not as if like Godhood and divinity were hanging out there on a tree in front of him like some forbidden fruit that he reached out and tried to take. Right? Does that sound familiar? Like our first parents did in the garden, thinking that they could rise above being human and, and somehow achieve Godness. That's not what Jesus did. He had it. He was God. I mean, Paul kind of goes over and over, like works extra hard to say this. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was equally God. 
He was God. So Jesus didn't just reach out or didn't just not reach out to take something that didn't belong to him. He actually released. He released his claim on what was rightfully his. That's uh, part of the reason you see differences in translations there in verse six, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's a tricky Hebrew phrase. the verb there just it, it means like um, not count equality with God something to hold on to. Okay, so on the one hand, um, it means like Jesus didn't reach out and try to take something that wasn't His, but it also means like He wasn't possessively holding on to His rights and prerogative. He, he released. He released. He He was God. And all the privileges and the rights and the prerogatives of being God were his. He could have exercised them totally within his rights to. But he didn't use them for his own advantage. He let go. He let go. He emptied himself, as it were, of those privileges and prerogatives. And instead, chose humanness and climbed down that ladder. All right, so what does this mean for us? Okay, Uh, verse five says, have this mind among yourselves. So what does that mean? Okay, if you look at this, uh, the Bible originally was written in the Greek language and sometimes we miss certain things um, because it's it's a translated thing. So the verb there is a, for for those of you who are grammar nuts, it's a present active imperative kind of get what an imperative means, right? It means it's a command. So we are supposed to be doing this. It's present active, which means it's something we're called to continually be doing now. So what does that mean? It means we must always be shaping our minds this way. We need to be thinking along the lines that Jesus was thinking. It's it's a practice, and and it's something we have to continually do. Why? Because it's hard, right? It's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of our rights and our prerogatives. Why? Well, because ever since Adam and Eve reached out and tried to seize being like God, we're all hardwired to do that now. We reach out, we grab, we try to take what's ours. Far from letting go of our perceived rights, we want to seize Godhood. We want to seize control. We want to set this world up to advantage us, right? That's why it's like really counterintuitive to just just let go. See, we were created to serve God and others with that open hand, to move toward them. So I can imagine, right, like you're thinking, Okay, you're, asking, you're saying, let go of my rights, let go of my prerogatives, use, use, use my advantages to advantage others. Well, who's gonna look after me, right? I mean, it makes sense. We live in a world that is broken and unjust and doesn't operate the way it's supposed to, and so we are uh, not only always having our own rights and prerogatives trampled, we also do it to other people to kind of get ahead. And so the natural question really is, like, 
well, if I'm not looking out for me, then who's going to? But y'all, can you imagine, like exercise in, in like uh, dreaming of heaven, can you imagine what it would be like to have everybody not looking out for their own advantages, not using what they can to further themselves, but to further each other. And not as some sort of like government mandated, you must, you know, we, we mess that up in this world. Out of, out of the pure motives are, of our heart, not trying to get ahead, not trying to be like noticed because we're somehow being self-sacrificing, out of the pure motives of heart, just being like, hey, I want, I want your furthering. I want you to be blessed. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine that kind of world. You don't have to scramble to look after yourself. You've got a, you've got a whole family doing that for you, which means your needs are met even more richly, right? Because one person looking out for one person's needs doesn't get very far, but a bunch of people taking care of each other. It's pretty impressive. Hey, I get it. Um, this is a really hard thing for us as Americans, right? We are born kind of with, this, with, and I think, honestly, I think there's a, there's a beauty in it. Um, we are born told you have rights, you have prerogatives, you have privileges. They're yours and no one can take them away. Fight anybody who tries to take them. And, and, you have those rights and privileges, use them. Use them for the furthering of others. Use them to lift up others, right? You don't have to guard them. Here, here's why. Because God wants to take care of you. And he wants to use your family, your church family, to take care of you too. And when you experience that, when you experience people moving into your life and saying, hey, let me, let me come alongside you. Let me, let me use my gifts and my talents, my abilities to advantage you. Suddenly, you can start releasing that grip, right? You can start trusting that, oh, maybe, maybe God is going to take care of me through his people. It's a beautiful world. So we're supposed to use the advantages God has given us to advantage others. It's hard. We seize and hold on. God let go. Jesus let go of his advantages and his prerogatives. He didn't just let go of clinging to that top rung of the ladder. He climbed down. He lowered himself. So what does that look like? Verse seven. It says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. Do you guys get that What's being emphasized there? Jesus' humanness. Jesus chose humanness. And in case, uh, in case we don't quite understand this, what Paul is saying is Jesus chose being a servant. This is something I think uh, we Westerners tend to miss where we think God is kind of a, uh, a Santa Claus sugar daddy who's out there to, scrambling around trying to meet everybody's needs. But something that the ancient world understood is God is king. He's king. Human beings are the ones who are the servants. And Jesus chose, this king chose 
servanthood. Y'all, this is not something kings do. Kings don't choose to be servants, right? And it goes beyond that. He didn't just choose to be a servant, to be made in the likeness of men, to be humble, to be, uh, take on the form of a servant. Verse eight says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Jesus chose obedience. All right, this probably doesn't rock our world as much as maybe it should. But think about this. As God, Jesus is, was the master. He was the rule giver. He was the one issuing commands, and he chose obedience. He chose to be the rule keeper. He chose to be the one taking commands. That doesn't mean like suddenly he, like, that he did not agree with the rules and laws that he made as God, right? Like God doesn't have a double standard. He's not saying, hey, I want you guys to obey this and I'm gonna be over here doing my thing and you can't call me to account, right? Now, Jesus totally agreed with, uh, with God's laws and God's rules, but in choosing obedience, he now chose to live under those laws. And, and this is gonna be, it's hard for us to get, but I'm gonna try to give us a, a family analogy, right? So adults, uh, you know what this is like. You set the rules in your own home, don't you? And kids and company kind of know what it's like to live under the rules that you, you've set. You know, whether it's like, hey, uh, in this house, we, you know, uh, don't watch TV before 5 p.m. or after 5 p.m. In this house, when you dirty a dish, you clean it up. In this house, uh, you take your shoes off when you come in or whatever. These rules that you, you set, they're like an extension of you. These are your preferences. These are the things that you you like, you enjoy these things. So this is why you, you tell your kids, you gotta do this. You don't wanna be made to do those things out of obligation. You want to, you know, set the rules. And you do them because they're a natural part of you. But you don't wanna be, to feel like you're living under them. And Jesus chose to live under those rules, to live under the law, to live under God's set standards for all of us. So it's, it's a poor analogy, but in some sense, like Jesus chose to go from being the adult in the family to being a kid, to being the rule maker, to being the rule keeper. And it's not because his heart didn't beat the same way as it did when he set the rules but it just means now he kept the rules as someone who lived under him, right? He chose obedience. He chose obedience to the God the Father. And it was more than that. He didn't just choose obedience. He also chose faithfulness and obedience to the point of death. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' ultimate act of obedience was going to not just a painful death, but a humiliating death. Y'all, see, when Jesus climbed down the ladder, he went past being born in a manger and he, being unnoticed. He went past being a human being that 
nobody really cared about. He went past death and that wrong. He went past that to, to being executed. And he went past being executed to being executed in a shameful way, to being humbled. This one who had spent his life telling people he was God's answer to a broken world, now hanging on a cross where everybody could laugh at him. The Christmas story, he climbed down that ladder to the lowest point that one could climb. All right, so that's what Jesus did. He let go, he lowered. What about us? See, because we're, we're called to share as Paul says, we're called to share that same mind, that same humility. So at this point, we, we also have to define what humility isn't. Because I say humility, and we probably get all different kinds of concepts in our head, right? So uh, humility is not being self-effacing or self-conscious. You know, So if you're somebody who's like, hey, I actually really struggle with self-esteem, that's not humility. In fact, you're still thinking about yourself. Right? Like, I, I get this. It was one of those things when I was growing up as a teenager. I thought, I don't have any issues with pride. Like, I'd, I'd listen to sermons on pride and be like, yep, nope, that's not me. Because I had huge self-esteem issues. And I thought I was humble. Y'all, um, I spent more time thinking about me with my self-esteem issues than I ever did think about anybody else. Humility is not lack of self-esteem, right? Humility is also not brown-nosing. It's not sidling up to people and like stroking their egos and saying, hey, you're awesome, you're great, you're, you're the best. Just so that, like, again, you can be noticed and you can move forward. It's also not just simple modesty, like downplaying your achievements. Oh, no, it really wasn't a big deal because you expect other people to, you know, that's what other people expect out of you, modesty, but it's humility goes further than that because it's not just thinking about yourself uh, less than you. Well, what Paul says in verse three, let's, let's jump up here. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Humility is honestly lowering your own opinion of yourself. It's counting others more significant. It means spending more time thinking about them than you think about you, right? Because that's the problem. It's so hard to do this because we're all born with this inborn pride. And whether we want to admit it or not, we tend to think the universe revolves around us. And we tend to spend most of our time and thought and effort about thinking on us, managing our image, uh, seeking our control. And so it's really incredibly rare for us to actually do anything that's truly selfless. Because even, even, when we, uh, even when we do, so often we're hoping for like applause or for somebody to ingratiate ourselves with somebody else to make, to make them feel, oh, you know, Kent's a good guy. He just did this. We're wired to climb the ladder and we'll use any means that we can to get there, including niceness and kindness, right? Hey, uh, <laughs> if you think, man, Kent's just got a really dour view of humanity, um, 
maybe I do. I do. I mean, I, you guys, you've heard I'm a four. I'm the, I'm the pessimist, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's also just true of our hearts. The deeper you go into unplucking all the layers of your heart, the more you realize there's so, like, I am at the core of everything I do. It ends up looking pretty ugly, right? And so this is what Jesus is doing. This is what the word of God is doing. It exposes that. It pulls back those layers so that we can see I'm the one trying to climb the ladder. I'm the one who lacks humility. Hey, here's the gospel answer, right? Because here's, because if we're not, if, if we're wired to climb the ladder, it's because we're also at the same time scared that if we don't look after ourselves this way, no one's going to, right? Who's gonna love you? Who's gonna care about you? If you don't somehow prove that you're worthy of that love, that you're worthy of respect or at the very least worthy of like being thought of as useful or, or feared or something, right? We all are out there trying to prove something because we're all deeply insecure. And the gospel answer to that is like, hey, you got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to prove. You know why? Because of two things. One, you're way worse than you dare dream. We spend so much of our lives, again, hiding uh, like who we truly are under all these layers. We don't want anybody to know how bad we really are. We were self-deceived. So we're way worse than we really dream. It's not it, though. You're way more loved. You're way more loved than you ever dreamed. You matter more than you can possibly imagine. So you don't have to protect yourself. You can be humble. You can be humble, you can, you can move into a relationship with other people, not doing the whole posturing and like, you know, trying to figure out where you rank with others. You can be humble because you're like, hey, eventually you're gonna get to know me and when you get to know me, you're gonna realize how messed up I really am, right? And the more you get to know me, the more you're gonna realize too how incredible it is that God loves me for how messed up I am. And I want to give you that same love. I want you to be a part of that too. So you can be humble. Got nothing to prove. You know what? Jesus was the most secure man in the whole world. Didn't have anything to prove. Nothing to prove, which is why he could be a servant. Which is why he could hang out with beggars and, and prostitutes and and be thought of by the, the, the religious elite of his day as some kind of impure outsider. He had nothing to prove. He could humble himself. He could lower himself because he was secure in God's love. All right, so we seize and hold on. God lets go. We climb, but God lowers, and it's totally counterintuitive to us, but the way down is actually the way up, and that's what we see best exemplified in the life of Jesus, right? So let's talk about lifting up now. So verses nine through 11, they, uh, the apostle Paul kind of just starts off in this hymn of praising Jesus. Uh, he says he was highly exalted in verse nine. He's given a name above every name. Do y'all realize that it's kind of incredible that someone like Jesus would be remembered, let alone remembered 2,000 years after the fact, let alone be worshiped as God. He wasn't some military leader. 
He wasn't some big innovator of like scientific technology. He had a small following and a very tiny, insignificant port portion of the, of the Roman Empire. He was a religious outsider and he's remembered. He has received a name above every name. Millions around the globe know who this man is, worship him as God and King. So not only is he rewarded with this high honor, he's also vindicated. Paul says, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus died a mockery. He died on the cross surrounded by people laughing at him for thinking that he said he was God's answer to the brokenness of this world. And now he's more than vindicated. He's vindicated in his claim to be God, to be king, to be the reverser of death and the brokenness of this world. And millions of people worship him as such, right? Uh, and one day, every single soul in existence is gonna worship him that way. Everyone, no exceptions. Everyone will acknowledge you are who you said you are. You are king, you are God. All right, question, right? So why did Jesus get this honor and this vindication? Look at verse nine. Even death on a cross, therefore. So up to this point, Paul's described all of Jesus' humiliation, and then therefore, God has highly exalted him. It's because Jesus let go and lowered and humbled himself that God exalted him. It's because Jesus climbed down that ladder further than anyone has ever gone that God has lifted him up to the place of highest praise that any human being will ever have. No one was more humble than Jesus. No one was more lowly than Jesus. So no one is more exalted and lifted up than Jesus. All right, hey, uh, let's think about us now for a little bit, okay? So it is so easy, and you probably imagine I'm gonna do this. Uh, it's so easy to try to end the sermon now with like, okay, go be like Jesus, right? Go out there, go let go of your rights and prerogatives and privileges, use those advantages to advantage other people, go humble yourselves, go out there and serve with an open hand and trust God to lift you up, right? And truth is, that would be a perfectly legitimate application. In fact, that's exactly what Paul is doing right here in this section of scripture. He's talking to these Philippian Christians and he's saying to them, hey, uh, look at verse three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. His whole point there is like, hey, Philippian Christians, imitate Jesus. He chose humility. He chose letting go. All right? So that's, that's perfectly legitimate. And Jesus' example of letting go and lowering himself is something we're called to imitate. Um, and y'all, like, let me just tell you, if you do that, you'll thrive too. Because a universe that's built around you at, at its center is at core a rotten universe. You're not made to be the center of the universe. And so when you, when you go back into your regular orbit around God, things actually work out better, okay? So yes, please, let go. Let go, lower yourself, humble yourself, 
and experience God using you to draw your friends and family and neighbors to him because that's what he does. The kingdom of God moves forward as Christians sacrifice, as Christians let go, as Christians lower, as Christians go and serve. But the whole point of this Advent series has been to wonder at Jesus, to wonder what he has done. Okay, so that's, this is where I want to leave us today. Hey, y'all, who does this? Who does this? Who, who lets go of their rights and privileges this way? Jesus had far greater status. He had far greater advantages, far greater prerogatives than any of us could ever imagine or dream. And he let go. He released those. He didn't use them for his own advantage. And he did this for you and me. We'd, we'd thrown away our rights. We'd thrown away our rights to be considered children of God. And Jesus let go to come seeking us, to restore us so that we could be called again. Not just servants of God, but daughters and sons. He came to restore us to those rights. Who does that? What kind of love is that? What kind of God is this, right? Who lets go that way? Also, who lowers himself that way? Jesus humbled himself. Who, who, who could have been more exalted and choose to be more humiliated? Who's ever given up more pride and more dignity than Jesus did? Who chooses to be the servant of lepers and blind men and prostitutes and the outcast when the very universe used to lie at his feet and when angels could not look at him because he is so glorious and so beautiful? Who chooses a manger instead of a cross or instead of a throne? Who chooses a cross instead of life eternal, far from pain. He did this for you and me. We pridefully turned our backs on God and he came seeking us out. You see, you and I, we, we had jumped off the ladder, straining for that top rung, wanting to be God. And then we fell to our deaths. We were seeking God's position and God let go and lowered himself and climbed down that ladder so he could raise us up again, give us life and restore us. The Bible, like the Bible says, restore us to reign with him seated on his throne. Who does that? Who does that? But our God, our Jesus, what kind of love is this? What kind of God is this? So hey, um, this is what I want for you out of this Advent, okay? I want you to wonder at Jesus. Again, we started, we started this series talking about how Christmas kind of loses a lot of that wonder in the hustle and the bustle and the crazy and the family drama and the, and the uh, gifts that you have to buy and everything. Hey, this Christmas, let's wonder at Jesus. 
Let's wonder at the kind of God who, who would let go to come find us. Let's wonder at the kind of God who would lower himself so low to raise us up again, to lift us up. Let's wonder at him. And then, and then in that wonder this Christmas, let's go and lift that God up for others to see so we can worship him and celebrate him and exalt our Jesus so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that our Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that that would happen. I pray for my own heart first. Father, I pray that you'd help me to wonder at you. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Um, I ask, Lord, I, I, I ask boldly that this Christmas season wouldn't be about us, wouldn't be about our performance, wouldn't be about all the things we have to do, but I pray, Father, that this Christmas season could be about Jesus, be about what you have done. Cause us to wonder again, fill our hearts with an amazement at our Savior. Allow us to then bring others into that. I pray this in his name, for his glory. Amen.